Thank you for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. For those who haven't yet heard, we've finally made our move into our new home in central Missoula. We'd love to see you Sunday mornings at 2010 3rd Avenue West and hope you're blessed by this online resource. Father God, Lord, every, every time we meet together, it's a proclamation of your glory. And through Jesus, you've changed our lives. You've given us new hearts and adopted us as your own so that we might worship and enjoy you forever. We pray that today. We pray that our relationship with you might be strengthened and that you might be glorified in the church as we respond together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as I have gotten older, I have become increasingly aware of what what I'll call um, uh, mildly endearing personality peculiarities that I have. Uh, Said another way, I have quirks. Uh, and in the interest of appropriate disclosure, I'm not going to go through all of the ways that I'm broken and awkward. Uh, they're too numerous to count. You can pray for my wife. Uh, you can also pray for her. She's home with uh, my youngest, who has a pretty bad cough today, and we spared you all of that. Uh, it would be very distracting. Uh, but one of these quirks that I have uh, is the way in which I will research a topic. I'll kind of get stuck and have blinders on. Uh, I can go very, very far down rabbit holes, and sometimes this happens for necessary things, like I need to buy something new for my house, or I need to purchase something here at the church, and God's called us to be good stewards, and so I learn every single detail about something, right? Um, I hear men laughing. (laughs) Uh, So, for example, when it comes to the sound system that you're hearing my voice on right now, um, did you know that most speaker systems, almost all, have a 60-degree angle of horizontal coverage? <laughs> if you're out of that coverage zone, things will sound at best really weird, and at worst, they'll sound really bad. You might not hear anything, but the speakers that we have have a 120 degrees angle of horizontal coverage, which actually ends right here. And so as that coverage goes out, our entire room is covered, and because we bought the right speakers, everyone can hear. And so my researching quirk had a happy ending. The hours were not spent in vain. Uh, and my researching, my drilling down into a topic, my myopic tenacity when pursuing curiosity, it can be very helpful. It's a skill sometimes. <laughs> but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's really not. I mean, I could be eating a piece of salami, and the next minute I'm on Wikipedia looking up the history of cured meats and food preservation throughout the ages. And my mind wanders off to, like, hardtack, this weird cracker that, like, soldiers used to eat on boats that never goes bad. And then all of a sudden I'm, like, looking at videos of 18th century reenactors where the video was literally called Chicken Boiled in Butter. Because apparently they used to do things like that. And like I said, pray for my wife. (laughs) Uh, And this proclivity that I have for knowing a lot about everything uh, and a lot of random stuff, it's it's useful. It's useful when it's done for the sake of a helpful end. Um, But other times I'm just kind of staring at my phone and I'm missing out on things that are more important and things that are right in front of me. And uh, so what's the point of my ramble? 
Well, today we're taking a break from our mini sermon series about the entire story of the Bible, and we're going to focus in on one thing in particular, and that's prayer. I tell my story about endless researching because without prayer in the life of a Christian, we greatly run the risk of investing more in the research of God and theology than we do in the health of our relationship with him. We can know a lot of things about God, about the gospel, about Jesus, but without reading the scriptures to hear from him and engaging in prayer to talk to him, we cannot say we know God. We can say that we believe in God based on what we have heard and read, but if we believe that God is who he says he is, and that Jesus has bought for us with his blood unfettered access to the Father's throne as if we were his dear children, with the ability to pour out our hearts to him with no fear of being turned away. If we believed that, we would pray. So today we're going to learn a little bit about how to pray. We'll dig into what should be motivating and fueling our prayer lives, and we'll consider what is the end and the purpose of prayer in the life of the church. As Jonathan read, we're in the book of Ephesians, and he read specifically the end of chapter three where Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, but I actually wanna read all of chapter three. It won't take us long, but it will help us to understand what undergirds the power of prayer and how prayer reveals our relationship to God. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter three. It'll be on the screens as well. And for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring delight for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly 
than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So today, the big idea that we're going to be considering is that our prayers are a response to what we believe about God. Our prayers are a response to what we believe about God. So when we come to pray, we should come with thankfulness in the gospel. We should come to God with our needs and the needs of others. And we should come away glorifying God in faith. Ephesians 3 opens up in an odd way. In Ephesians 3.1, Paul is about to pray and he says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he, he stops. <laughs> he stops his thought. He goes off on what seems like an inspired tangent only to pick up with exactly the same language later on in verse 14, which begins with, for this reason. And what we find between the for, for this reason of verse 1 and the for this reason of verse 14 is the basis of Paul's relationship with God, the mystery of God's salvation to the whole world revealed in Jesus, and the revelation that in Jesus, we are not only encouraged to approach God with the same access that a child would have to their father, but with the same boldness of a child. And every time we come to God in prayer, we bring everything that we believe about him with us. And in our passage today, we see what Paul believes, what motivates and excites him. In the midst of what seems to be a tangential aside, Paul peels back the curtain on his own prayer life and he lets, it see, lets us see where does this come from. And now, of course, the Apostle Paul, he's a preacher everywhere he goes. And, and this is, in fact, why he is in prison at this time. Uh, but even as he spends his days as a preacher to others, we see that he is not neglected to preach to himself. He does it here at the beginning of Ephesians 3. So even before the words of his prayer can leave his mouth, or in this case, can get off his pen, he cannot help but marvel with a grateful heart at the gospel. His prayers are a response to what he believes about God. And we would do well to be like Paul. And so in our first point today, when we come to pray, we should come with thankfulness in the gospel. So using our passage as an example, what is Paul thankful for? What stirs his soul even before he begins praying? Well, Paul reflects on five things. He reflects on how the mystery of God's salvation is revealed in Jesus he reflects on how the call of salvation goes to everyone. He reflects on how he's been called by God to help others understand the gospel. He reflects on how the, the church, God saved people together, uh, is a witness to the Lord's wisdom on the earth. And he, lastly, he reflects on how being united in Christ makes us co-heirs with him. So we're not only saved from our sin, but we're saved to a restored relationship with God. And in Jesus, as Paul himself says in verse 12, we have boldness and access with confidence. And this is how Paul prepares himself to pray. 
How do you prepare to pray? Now, I understand that not much uh, preparation is necessarily needed to pray for dinner or to pray for our children before they go to bed or to pray help (laughs) in that moment of emergency. But when you pray, when you decide, now I will pray, what do you do to prepare to enter into those times of communion with God? Do you do anything at all? And if not, how is that working out for you? I think something has happened. We're uh, along the way, we've been conditioned to think that it is wrong to prepare to pray. That we're not authentic unless we are spontaneous. Do you feel that? Have you ever felt that way? Has your understanding of prayer ever been shaped by a thought like that? That somehow prayer is more powerful if we just wing it and stick our thumb into the air feeling for spiritual wind. And what's funny is that without some preparation in prayer, we're most likely going to pray ourselves into boring circles where just about every time we pray, we're praying for the same things in the same way with just about the same words. So much for spontaneity. (laughs) You know, it's easy to fall into praying the same rote incantations for safety, comfort, and health each day. But eventually, our own lack of engagement with the thoughtfulness of our prayers will make us tired of saying them. And that makes us think that God might be tired of hearing them. I would say that if you find prayer boring or dry or difficult to get into, follow the example of Paul and enter into prayer with thankfulness for the gospel. And in fact, I would encourage you to make many of your prayers to God, prayers of thankful reflection about all that he has done. And don't even ask him for a thing. Our relationship to God is often characterized in the scriptures as a child-parent relationship, but it's also characterized as a husband and wife relationship Sometimes I just tell my wife she's beautiful. I adore her. I don't ask anything of her. Believers, could you daily, thoughtfully, uh, reflect on the beauty and majesty of God and respond to that reflection with prayer? I promise that adding thoughtfulness to your prayers will not make them boring. In fact, you'll feel your heart come alive as you worship And the Spirit of God within you wells up with joy that confirms that it is good to simply be in God's presence. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I I will give you rest. Worshipful prayer, thoughtful prayer is a means to that rest. It's for you. It's a gift for you that you can commune with God. Again, if an idea like this is entirely new to you, but you know that you want to revitalize your personal prayer life, Paul has given us a great example here in Ephesians 3. And in fact, the five things that I mentioned earlier are not unique to Paul. They are good things for all of us. 
And so for the rest of our time in this first section, I want to use those five realities as a tool along with scripture to stir up our collective thankfulness to God. So we're going to go through them one by one. We're going to go fast. I'm going to summarize, but uh, this will stir our hearts, help us to warm our hearts up before prayer. Oh, Lynn, Lynn's giving me water. She knows that at some point I'm going to cough and lose my voice and I'm going to be like, hold on, guys. It's usually what happens. But the mystery of God's salvation is revealed in Jesus. This is the first thing that Paul thinks about. You know what? Growing up in the church in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was a variety of like Christian-esque movements that sought to recapture authenticity in the practice of faith. And they tried to do this by acknowledging and almost emphasizing doubt, which is a weird thing to emphasize. And there would be much talk about what we didn't know about God. And there was a seeming desire uh, to see God as mysterious and oblique and unknowable and and, uh, a hope that authentic faith would rise up out of some kind of aesthetic Christian mysticism. And basically, the prevailing wisdom said that if we wanted a Christianity that looked and felt a little more cooler and mysterious... And we wanted a faith that would cut us a little more slack when it came to pursuing personal holiness. (laughs) The problem with this is that our faith isn't in what we don't know. It is in Christ. And he himself is the answer to what was previously mysterious. And scripture affirms this over and over again. Anytime it talks about the mystery of God, the mystery of God revealed, it's talking about Jesus. In Colossians 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, For I want you to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Ephesians 1, 9, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Romans 16, 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. The mystery of scripture is this. How will God make everything right again between us and him while still judging sin perfectly and remaining true to his character and holiness? And the mystery revealed is that both of those seemingly incompatible goals are accomplished perfectly through the ministry and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And so we rejoice and are thankful when we pray that we don't have to dwell in mystery anymore about how things can be made right with God. God has made them right for all who believe in Jesus Christ. That brings us to the next uh, thing that Paul rejoices over, and that is that the call to salvation, the call of salvation, it goes to everyone. In Ephesians 3, 6, Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And as Tyler has been preaching over the last few weeks, we have over and over again seen themes of God's people in God's place and in God's presence. And for all of the Old Testament, we know exactly who God's people are. They're the Jews. They're the children of Abraham, the Hebrews, the 12 tribes of Israel. And whether they followed closely to the commands of God, or they were far from him and needed correction, they were his distinct people. 
And yet there were always promises that God's family would grow and that people from every nation would worship the Lord. In Genesis 12, 3, God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Psalm twenty two twenty seven, it says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. The mystery of God revealed in Jesus is for everyone. And so as we enter into prayer, we can know that there is no one who because of their sin is too far off or too far gone to turn to Christ, to turn to him in faith and be saved. No one is excluded from this invitation to believe the gospel is for everyone. And we rejoice and are thankful when we pray. And the third thing we see Paul thankful for in his ministry is that he has been called by God to help Others understand the gospel. But this is true for all of us. We have all been called to help others understand the gospel. And we do this for one another in the church all the time. Maybe you're in a discipleship group or a community group. You've taken part in a class. You're doing a book study with someone. You're helping your spouse or your kids understand the gospel regularly in your home. Maybe you're just thoughtfully having gospel-saturated conversations with those you meet and you bring encouragement to those in Christ and you bring hope to the lost. Paul was called to a unique ministry for sure, to preach to Gentiles at the dawn of the church age. But in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus has given all of us the meaningful work of making disciples of all nations. And God has not saved us to wait around We rejoice and are thankful when we pray because he's giving us meaning and purpose and he's building his kingdom through us. Our fourth thing that we see is that Paul thanks God for the church. The church, God's saved people together is a witness to the Lord's wisdom on earth. In Ephesians 3 verse 10, he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is unlike anything else, joining people together from every background, ethnicity, race, creed, financial situation, and those who would be considered by the world to be something, and those who would be considered by the world to be nothing. The church is called the body of Christ, and the church makes Christ visible in the world and proclaims his power over sin. Of the church in First Peter 2, Uh, verses nine through 10, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, God's work in the world today is the salvation of sinners through faith in Christ And this is something that only he can do. But the church's role in the world today, in all that it does, is to faithfully share with the world the excellencies of Christ through word and deed until he returns. It is through the church that the world hears the gospel and sees the effects of its power in the lives of its members. 
is through believers, through our testimony, through our witness, through our gospel proclamation that God is accomplishing heart-changing, sin-destroying, kingdom-building work. And so we rejoice. We are thankful when we pray to be trusted with the treasure of the gospel as we bear witness to it and proclaim its power with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And lastly, Paul rejoices over the reality that being united in Christ makes us co-heirs with him. In Ephesians 3, 6, Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Later on in Ephesians 3, 11 through 12, Paul expands on what being an heir gets you. And this was according to the eternal promise that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. How cool is that? In one sentence, we can see how Jesus has changed everything in our relationship between us and God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Peter talks about the inheritance that is ours in Christ this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The mystery of the gospel that is revealed in Jesus is that he received everything that we deserved for our sin and rebellion and we received everything that he deserved for his obedience. And our status before God, our Father is completely and utterly changed. And instead of coming to him as enemies under his wrath, we can come as children received with joy. We rejoice and are thankful that when we pray, we can always come to God as his child and be received with joy. Nothing separates us anymore. If digging into the practice of prayer has been difficult for you, let thankful rejoicing bring you back to the Father's arms. Gaze on the beauty of his holiness and mercy and tell him today what you see. Notice the beauty of the gospel and tell him. What you will find is that the more often that you do this, it is not God who will change, it's you. Grateful wonder at the gospel is the fuel for a life of prayer and worship. So now that like Paul, we've warmed our hearts by the fires of the gospel and understand the depth of the relationship and the access to God that we have in Christ. What do we do? <laughs> what do we do with the kind of co-heir access to God that we now have where we can come to him with anything and everything, with boldness? We have no fear of being turned away. And this is our second point for today. When we come to pray... We should come to God with our needs and the needs of others. Let's remind ourselves of Paul's actual prayer here, starting with his second for this reason in verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what do we do? With childlike access to God, we pray for our needs and the needs of others. We come to our Father and we ask him to act and to move in this world and to accomplish the things that we never could. Now, of course, this includes acute needs. If someone is sick, we want to pray that they would be healed and feel better. If we're struggling with anxiety or depression, we should pray for relief. If we're unsure about what path to choose when it comes to work opportunities or dating relationships or long-distance moves, we should pray for wisdom. In general, our prayer lives are consumed with acute needs. And this is the reality of life in a sinful world. It's so full of hardship and disappointment, and we should come to our Father in our time of need for help and comfort as we navigate difficulty. There's difficulties, there's heartbreaks, there's insecurities, and we should come and can always come to our Father for comfort and strength in this broken world. We have that access with boldness. And at the same time, there are uh, more foundational needs than the acute ones. And Paul actually focuses his prayer for the Ephesian church there. What is the point of comfort and health if we are faithless and in danger of God's judgment. If our minds aren't fixed on the glories of God, we might find more comfort in his blessings than in his presence. And so when Paul's prayers, when Paul prays, this is his concern. Uh, He wants the church to believe and to understand what they believe. And two times in this prayer, Paul prays for strength. Why does he do that? He prays because he knows how weak we are. In Ephesians 3, 16 to 17, he prays for the strengthening of hearts this way, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And he prays for the strengthening of minds when he prays in verse 18 and 19, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that she may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ultimately, Paul's prayer is that the greatest needs that we have would be met. That through God's spirit and power, the church might believe and have a relationship with God that would grow more and more while comprehending with greater clarity and assurance the love that God has shown us. And he prays that minds would be strengthened so that people would see the beauty of the gospel from every angle, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, like a jeweler looking at a diamond. And Paul asks that the church might be filled with the fullness of God. And this is like praying that they would be consumed with the thought in their mind and the feeling deep in their hearts that because of what Christ has done, that God really deeply loves us. 
I said earlier that our prayer lives are consumed with acute needs, but Paul's desire for believers here is that they would be consumed with the unsearchable riches of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God, the breadth, length, height, and depth of God's costly redeeming love. And I hope that one day this will be the truth for us all, and we know that it will be when we come into Christ's kingdom. And when we pray like this, this way that Paul has prayed for ourselves and others, and God answers this prayer, we can be rooted and grounded in the knowledge of the love of Christ and be content and grateful even when God answers our acute prayers differently than we had hoped. And God will often answer our prayers differently than we hope. I read one theologian who wrote, prayer gets messed up when we assume its purpose is to get God on board with us versus the other way around. He's not a genie granting wishes. He's God. He's not bound to us. We are bound to him. He doesn't serve our purposes. We serve his. Do you believe this? God only answers prayers in ways that bring him glory, build his kingdom, and serve the eternal good of his children. And he is faithful to do that. And so what happens when we pray in ways that seek to bring ourselves glory or to build our kingdom or to bring comfort and security into our lives that God knows we are better off without? Well, James warns us about some of this in James chapter four, verse three. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Does a father know better than his children what they need? Of course, (laughs) of course he does. Uh, I'm the father of three kids, and what I know now is that children always want most, the things that will disappoint them the quickest. (laughs) They want toys with batteries that run out. They want video games that they'll finish in a day and never enjoy again. They want experiences that are not as good as advertised, and they want food that will make them feel sick to their stomachs. (laughs) Do you think our Heavenly Father knows better than His children what they need? Doesn't the cross prove that God loves us and that He's trustworthy when it comes to our good? Doesn't the cross also prove that when it seems like no comfort can be found and things are at their darkest, that God is with us? God always answers our prayers in the best way possible. And so, whatever we are praying for right now, this is the best that God has for us at this point. And as we come to him for ourselves and others, this is an important and a dear truth to hold on to. God always answers our prayers in the best way possible. To deeply consider that reality is to reorient your sense of self-importance in the universe. (laughs) And simultaneously, you realize that you are not God and that everything isn't about you or even those you are praying for. And yet, the one whom everything is about is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And Paul asks in Verse 19, that believers might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
We might not know now why God has us or those we love in trying situations, but we do know that turning to him is the only safe harbor for our hopes. We don't always have the strength to comprehend this, but today we've seen that that is exactly what we should be praying for. So let us come boldly to our Father and ask him to heal, to provide, to guide and direct. But let's also ask him to forgive sin, to change and strengthen hearts and minds and to keep us by his Spirit's power no matter the circumstance until he comes again. Our last point for today is that when we come to pray, we should come away glorifying God in faith. Let's see how Paul ends his prayer. In Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And Paul ends his time in prayer glorifying God for who he is, for what he can do, and for what we can trust him to do forever. He began with adoring God in the light of the gospel. And he entered into a time of prayer for the strength and growth of the church. And he closes by affirming his trust in God and in his power to do anything. And in all of scripture, I think that these are some of the most beautiful words that I have ever read. That God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And that by God's glory, and that God's glory is found in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. These are beautiful thoughts. And this truth that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think reveals itself in the gospel. None of us would have come up with this. This is not how we would have answered the problem. If people had sinned against us and we were a holy God, we'd probably just crush them and say, I'm not doing this. Starting over. Something different. This didn't work. Not worth it. That's not what God's done with us. None of us would have come up with this. None of us would have sacrificed our only son for those same people that sinned against us. None of us would have done this. We couldn't imagine. We take it for granted. We sit in church and we've heard these things for some of us our whole lives. But you would have never come up with this. This is so far beyond our ability to think. This is beyond our knowledge. None of us could have dreamed it. None of us would have asked for it. If, if God hadn't given us the gospel and salvation as a gift, you never would have asked for him to do this. It is amazing. And it is worthy of our reflection because it will cause us to worship. We can't take it for granted. It seems too good to be true, and yet it is not. God has already proven that he is able to do far more than all that we ask or think in the gospel. And it's held out for us as an invitation today. If the world has left you hopeless and you know that you need God to change things, he can and he will. Jesus has restored our relationship to God and today if you believe that he died to take the penalty for your sin and you desire to turn from your sin and follow God and follow his path instead of your own, today could be the first day of a new life for you. And please talk to me or any of the other pastors that are here at the church at the end of the service today. We would love to help you know more about that. After considering all that we've looked at today, I wonder if in our hearts 
we have an accurate picture of God? Do we really understand his holiness? Do we understand the offense of sin? Have we grasped what it cost Jesus to make things right? And now that he's restored our relationship to the Father, do we even take advantage of what he has purchased for us when Paul says that in Jesus we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith? And the good news is that we can pray to grow in our understanding of all of these things. Paul did. And we should pray for this because when it comes to when we come to God with a right view of who he is, then our personal prayer times and our prayer times as a church together, they will be times of worship and we'll walk away from them in awe of God's goodness and mercy. And there's a quote from a, uh, a pastor and an author named Tim Keller that has stuck with me for years. And he said, when we pray, we treat God as God. So even the act of praying at all is an act of worship. Because to pray means that you believe there is a God, that he hears you, and that he can do what you cannot. And that's a good start. <laughs> and my hope for today has been very simple. To look at this prayer of Paul's and to see it as an example of a healthy prayer life. One that comes prepared by thankfulness in the gospel, that then enters into prayer with the boldness of a beloved child that seeks the good and growth of our relationship with God and of others' relationship with God as we together seek the revealing of his glory in the church. And finally, to see that prayer is necessary, for without it, we do not treat God as God. And we are disconnecting ourselves from the power of God to do all that we cannot in our own strength. So as we begin to close here, I want to make a few things very practical. Uh, I've talked mostly about the broad state of the heart and mind as it relates to prayer, but I want to offer some help to those who don't know where to start and to those who want to start again. And so here are five things I want to leave with us today. First is conclude your devotional time with prayer. Read, then pray. We have a reading plan that the church is going through right now. Uh, and it's available at the info desk or on our website or through our app. And if you don't have any other regular Bible reading that you are doing, please join us uh, in doing this. Uh, get into the habit of hearing from God in his word and then talking to him through prayer. Our prayers are a response to what we believe about God. And as we spend time with him in his word, our picture of who he is becomes more accurate. And we will... Uh, understand him more and more. We want to be in his word, hear from him, and then respond. So read, then pray. The second one is talk to God. And this may seem odd to include on this list, but I do think that it is helpful. Uh, many of us have only ever really prayed within the confines of our own heads. And I believe that you will find your times of prayer to be more focused and less distracted if you actually speak. And almost every prayer recorded in the Bible is a prayer that was said out loud. And it doesn't mean that it's not okay to pray without speaking. That is fine. <laughs> I am simply sharing something that has helped me and my own distracted mind and heart uh, stay on track with what it is that I want to pray for. So talk to God. Number three, 
consider a biblical model of prayer. Uh, there are many, many prayers recorded in Scripture, and I would encourage you when you come across what other people are praying for, make note of that. What do other people pray for, and how can I learn from that? Uh, many times you'll hear us in the service uh, pray things that come from Scripture, inspired from Scripture. Many of the prayers after the call for worship that we do at the beginning, they will be in response. Many of the prayers, including the pastoral prayer, will be a response to God's word. We want to learn from God's word and keep it in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, there's also a, a resource I'll actually point you to. There's a book by D.A. Carson entitled Praying with Paul uh, that many of us on the staff have read and found helpful, and it walks through many of Paul's prayers just like we did today and helps us understand this better uh, and serves as a guide for your own prayer life. In our passage today, we saw a biblical model. It begins with worshiping God by remembering the gospel, bringing our requests to our Father, and then concluding by glorifying God and affirming our trust in his power. There are other good models of Scripture in Scripture everywhere, and all I'm encouraging is that a structure can help when it comes to having a thriving prayer life. The fourth is write things down. Write things down. I am not smart enough to go to the grocery store without a list. <laughs> so when it comes to praying for myself and for others, to actually do it <laughs> in a meaningful way, uh, it would be foolish for me to think that I could do it without some kind of way of going back and referencing. Um, you're probably in need of a list as well. <laughs> In our passage today, we saw how Paul's thoughtfulness uh, with prayer, uh, thoughtfulness uh, when he prayed affected his prayer life. We want to be thoughtful too. And I believe that writing our prayers down, writing what we want to pray for, I think it will affect us. Uh, so grab a small book with blank pages. Grab a to-do app uh, on your phone. Uh, and additionally, a benefit of writing these prayer requests down, it means that over time, you'll actually be able to see how God answered these things. You get a prayer journal for free. So write down what it is you want to be praying for, for yourself, for others, for the things that are happening next week, for the things that you've been praying for for 20 years. Just write them down. Write them down. It's okay. You can open your eyes. You can talk to God. These are all allowed. You can walk around. I know people that wore holes in their carpets from walking around while they prayed. These are all allowed. These are good. Lastly, pray with others. Pray with others. This is your spouse, your children, or your parents, members of the church, and here at the church corporately pray with others. And when we have times in prayer here and someone on the platform is praying for us corporately, agree with them in prayer. Pray what they are praying with them. Don't just let them pray over you. Pray what they are praying with them. Pray with your community group. Pray with your discipleship group. Pray for others and let others pray for you. This is part of what Paul called the church the manifold wisdom of God. And there's a powerful witness to the world when we pray together corporately and seek his glory as his people in all things. And to that end, I want to encourage uh, the men here today to get something on your calendar. Uh, and over the course of this year, I'm actually going to be planning a few prayer events for men. Uh, we have often had a variety of women's ministry events over the year, but have struggled in getting any kind of men's ministry off the ground. And to try and rectify this, we want to create the opportunity for the men of the church to pray together. 
And the first of these events will be on Saturday, March 4th. So that's just six weeks from now. And it won't be too early in the morning. We'll be done by noon. But this is an opportunity for us to gather, to have some breakfast, a time of fellowship, and to pray for each other, our families, and the ministry of the church. Again, that's coming up March 4th. We'll make sure that more details are available very soon, but I can't think of a better reason to begin to unite the men of this church uh, than around the practice of prayer. Uh, And so we'd love to see you there, March 4th. At the end of all of our prayers is the glory of God, that we'd be more like him and and that this world would be more like his kingdom. In essence, everything we pray for is that we would be more like him and that this world would be more like his kingdom. We pray that we might honor the sacrifice of Christ and that we would actually enjoy the benefits of a restored relationship with our Father. So may we persevere in prayer because it really is for our good and for God's glory. Our prayers are a response to what we believe about God. And yet as we humble ourselves and meet him in prayer, we'll find that we believe all the more. Let's close in prayer together. Uh, Father God, uh, Today, the, the, on my heart has been um, the fact that we are so easily uh, drawn into lives of prayerlessness. God, where sometimes we rely on your sovereignty to take care of things for us. God, where often we can have passive prayers that you would take care of things that we could take care of. And we ignore praying for things that only you can do. God, I pray uh, that we would not be a prayerless church. Lord, I pray that uh, the men and women of this church, the young believers in this church, God, that they would be shaped by times in your presence and the practice of prayer. God, that we would all be praying for the good of one another. Lord, that we would be praying that you meet acute needs, but that you meet our deepest needs as well. Lord, let us not neglect anything, but let us come to you with everything. Lord, I pray that uh, as we warm our hearts by the fires of the gospel, that we would come into your presence with thankfulness, and with rejoicing. Lord, help us to uh, respond to that gospel by talking to you, by being in your presence, and by being changed by those times. God, we thank you for this gift that we have in access to you. Lord, I pray that through your spirit that you would encourage us to use it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.